What's up, Creighton fans? Uh, this is Matt Marinas from White and Blue Review, sitting here with Johnny Atal from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, after Creighton's 91-54 win over Midland to wrap up non-conference play 11-2, and um, get ready for Big East play. As promised, we are not going to talk about this game much at all. Uh, six guys finishing double figures. Marcus and Tyshawn had 19 each. Uh, Jays only had two turnovers. Um, some dude from Midland had an eternal green light with a red light at the rim. Went three for 20. Um, Can I say that, I mean, that in this game, how you look at this game, maybe... I don't know, because I, I think you can look at this game one of two ways. I think you can look at it and say, man, Creighton, I mean, the opponent aside, you can look at it and say, oh, man, Creighton looks really good when that offense is humming. Like in the first half, and one turnover to 14 assists, shot 60% from the field, 20 to nothing in fast break points. Um, I think they had a nine-possession nine stretch where they scored all nine times. 18 points during that nine possession stretch that's unheard of obviously again NAIA team I get it but like oh the offense is humming and Creighton looks really elite but then on the other hand you can look at the second half and Creighton's one of 11 from three seen that before Creighton got out rebounded in the second half seen that before you know size questions depth questions like I think this game was actually a I mean, the season in a nutshell. Yeah, it kind of was a nice little microcosm of what we've seen so far, even given that the opponent was not on Creighton's level whatsoever. Um, and then you cap it with the fact that Greg McDermott announced after the game that Davion Mintz isn't going to return for uh, at, at all this year. He's going to take his retro year because the ankle isn't healing up. And uh, and it's just kind of like, wow, you know, Creighton's Creighton is who it is right now. Um, it's not getting any any sort of boost with a reinforcement in terms of Davion Mintz, Denzel Mahoney's in the mix, but uh, the Jays still have to kind of work to blend him in. Um, so some of the problems are the flaws that uh, have surfaced at times this year. And conversely, some of the stretches of brilliance that Creighton's had, um, that's this team. And so we'll see how much better they can get over the course of the season. But that was kind of like my thought as I was watching it unfold is like, and we've seen this this game feels mighty similar uh just a little bit more lopsided i admire your willingness to give midland their due there with the with the recap <laughs> uh the only thing i'm watching from this game is to see what happens to marquette georgetown and butler's um net rating and non-con sos cuz they played actual d1 cupcakes today versus creighton opting to go the route that does not count against your metrics mm-hmm. so i'm curious to see how that tit for tat um plays out in the old game of um gaming the system if you will and right. see who comes out of the end of that that's the only thing i'm watching that's all nothing from this was okay well something i, I well, can what i will say forward. is that be, when you beat marquette won by 32, this, 32. Yeah. yeah when i think when you beat a team a bad team that soundly mm-hmm. it nullifies the sos hit that you take by we shall see i i I did the before i already have the before shot okay so i'm ready for the update and we'll see what that's my theory anyway that was a theory last year that if you because everybody if you all i heard about this game before going in was it's a joke i'm not going to it why is craving you making me spend money on it and i'm like well i think there's a method to the madness and we'll see if how much of that 
actually, for teams that wanted to play a tune-up game before conference play. They obviously didn't want a tough one coming off of Christmas break. No one in the country does. Um, I mean, were there any marquee games today? Louisville-Kentucky's a rivalry game, so I don't really know if that counts, but Wisconsin-Tennessee, I guess you could argue is one, but... Is there anything else that I mean, jumps BYU out you? played Oral Roberts at home today just now. I was sure. at that score. I could qualify that, that one. Was Oral the... Roberts, I feel like, is a Summit League contender for sure. Yeah, like that's a pretty tough game to uh, to put on your schedule. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if there was really any. Just kind of glancing through, no. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's the Midland recap. That's the Midland recap. <laughs> We will talk about Davion Vince too because we did. I mean, obviously that's big a big uh, development. Um, just some clarity on that finally, and that um, we had a lot of questions about that. So um, we will talk about that, but mainly this uh, is just going to be kind of a Big East preview podcast. So what we're going to do here is I think we're just going to jump into your questions now. And we're going to knock those out, and then if there's anything untouched on Mince and or. Um, just anything in general, we'll jump on it, and then otherwise we're just going to kind of go through um, the Big East Conference this year in men's basketball, do like kind of a 10 through 1 countdown I think is probably the best way we can do it and offer maybe analysis along the way of each team and why we're putting them in those slots. What do you think? Sound like a decent strategy for moving forward? Let's do it. Cool. So the first question we got is from Sam Norland. He wants to know... He has a little bit of a – I'm guessing he's a gambling man because um, he wants to know, will Tyshawn have more point rebound double-doubles than Marcus Howard will have 40-point games? I'm assuming that is asking for the rest of the way. Because okay. right now, what are we at, 2-2? Two and, two and two? What did Marcus Howard have today, I guess? I don't know. That's a good question. Because he was at 25 at halftime. I'm imagining he's sat for – Majority of yeah, I would, I would imagine that as well. The second half. Um, you look up Marcus Howard. I think Tyshawn's at two double doubles. Marcus Howard had uh, well, he set the all-time Marquette three-pointer record, three-point record. So that's exciting for him. Yeah, we did that with like his first three. I think. Yeah, he has thirty. He had thirty. Okay. Um, so I think he's got three forty-point games. I think he had one right off the bat. And then he had 91 in two days in Orlando um, against USC and Davidson. I'm going to go with So I think he's at 340. So right now he leads in that category 3-2. So going forward the rest of the way, um, how does it end up? Does Tyshawn have more double-doubles or does Marcus Howard have more 40-point games? It's interesting because, like, Creighton doesn't have anybody else to get rebounds. Like, they need Tyshawn. Is he still leading the team in rebounds? Well, he only had one today, so took a hit. Yeah, the average took a hit. But they don't have a lot of guys grabbing boards, so um, they need him to do that. But Marcus Howard is also the only scorer on that team, like consistent yeah. scorer. So I would give Creighton, it to If Creighton's going to grab, what, yeah. 37 rebounds a game? Is that what they're averaging right now? 30. What are they averaging in rebounds per game? Yeah, 36.2 is what they're averaging per game rebound-wise. Um, so, yeah, 36 rebounds. Tyshawn will grab. We'll have to grab six or seven of them, right, mm-hmm. per game. Um, 
So will he have more double point rebound double doubles than Marcus Howard? Marcus Howard has two forty point games. Okay, he had thirty eight in the so opener. So it's a tie right now going into it is the a tie. Play. I'm still giving it to Marcus Howard. You think Marcus Howard's going to go forty more times than Ty goes double double? Yeah. Okay. I, th- I you know it's interesting because I think both teams will need that to be a pretty competitive race. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Creighton will need Tyshawn to be. Um, we'll have, we'll need to be close to a double digit rebound guy and Marquette, given their offensive, um, the funks they tend to go into offensively, they'll need Marcus Howard to have a few forty point games um, to give them a chance to be in this way tournament team. So, uh, if both teams are, if both teams are good, they'll that will be a fun race to watch for sure. Marcus good. Howard had thirty on nine of thirteen shooting today. That's super efficient. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, good question. Thanks, Sam. Um, this is from Rob Sims. He wants to know flat out. We still haven't asked yet. Um, does Mac bring back the tie for Big East player? Have we seen the last of Mac wearing ties? Um, in general, the trend of coaches going tireless. It might be the trend to watch, the trend to watch in the 2020s for NCAA. I'm, I'm actually saying the tie's retired. You think it's retired for good? I still think it's because of the streak. No, I think it is, but I just think that it's. I, I don't think you, know, gonna, you think if they're going to take an L, it's, it's not coming back regardless. I don't think. I mean, he's a superstitious guy. The tie's coming back if as soon as they lose. You think so? Yeah, as soon as they lose. As soon as they lose. Mm, interesting. The thing, but the thing about it is, like, there's a loophole this year because he was wearing pullovers when they lost, and they won when he was wearing a pullover again. So he just didn't have to like. He he kind of won without the tie again, so it stayed off. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to wear it anyway. They were wearing pullovers in that tournament. So it's like, you know, that's kind of where it goes. Because he was wearing them before the Michigan game, and then they lost. And then he dished the ties. And they haven't lost when he's been suited up. They haven't lost since then. So he hasn't had to wear it yet. But he's a superstitious guy. No, so he's definitely superstitious. So it's, gonna, it's coming back as soon as they take an L. Like, I'm banking on it. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, he definitely had a tie... Uh, against Michigan. There's no question. He's yeah. wearing the tie against Michigan. Yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's, I, you think he's going to bring it back. He settled into it? I like think he'll find a, never, a different way to get it. Yeah, I think a different way to find that. The, okay. To solve the. So right. I'm team streak, team superstitious, and you're just, you're team tieless. I, I'm just, what I'm saying is like, if or when Creighton loses, he'll find a different route to sort of like, you think he'll start going like Bob Huggins? Maybe he'll go sockless. I don't know. Sockless. Wow. That would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? It's a trend. Okay. Fashion trend. Sure. Um, so we've got a couple of these types of questions. Uh, Drew Morrissey and Brian Norton both want to know uh, what is what team or teams do you think do you see being the worst or toughest matchup for Creighton in league play? Butler. Okay. Because of its uh, length and tenacity on the perimeter and knocking guys like Marcus Sekarowski and Tyson Alexander out of rhythm. Kind of hard to disagree on that one, but why? I, li- I just want to hear your list first. Um, because we can talk about that as we dive into the league. I think. Yeah, so I think that's. I just think the matchup, the matchup there is like, I think Creighton's perimeter is better than Butler's perimeter. Uh, what? I I would rather Tyshawn, Marcus, Mitch are better than Kamar, Aaron Thompson, Jordan Tucker. 
Sean McDermott. Like, yeah, I'll take. I'll take if it's a three for. I, I'll t- if you're comparing I'm, big threes, I'm taking Creighton's big three. I, I mean, I think it's pretty even, but I just think that those types of teams give Creighton problems when they've got when teams have gotten up in underneath like Tyshawn Alexander and Marcus Zagorowski and made them uncomfortable, gotten into the passing lanes, uh, gotten physical with them, made it you know like. Greg McDermott talked about after the San Diego State game. He's like, we weren't cutting hard. We weren't setting screens hard. Like, Butler's going to make you do that. Marcus hears this podcast. He's going to be mad at you, right? I'm fine. (laughs) I mean, I... You got. They got. They got to take. They got to take that. Yeah, but I think to the court, I, You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, like they, no, I hear you. I think they're that more, physicality. I think they're more mature though. This time, this this year, like that, those versions of themselves are better equipped to handle that. All right. They got to prove it though. And I think they're better. They're more talented. So like, I'm taking a talented. I'm taking the talented group over the. You know, when I compare it head to head. I mean, if I were if we were in a shooting contest, definitely. But like, Butler has the ability. I mean, look at its track record this year. Like they've made opposing guards uncomfortable. And so that I, is I, that to me is a. You challenge. know what I like that I've done already is I've already put you in a corner that you're gonna scratch and claw your way out of in a few minutes. I like that though. I don't know if you noticed that you did that already. <laughs> no, I just think Butler's a bad matchup for Creighton. I hear you, but I think you're gonna tear them down in a second. I like I like that I like that I put you where you are currently because now you're gonna squirm out of there. So Butler is your number one bad matchup. Yeah, I think that's gonna be. Honestly, creative. I don't know how you don't say the rest of the nine teams in the league. You're saying Butler like. Who defends Who's, better? Who's Marquette, I guess. Marquette's length yeah, is going to be a problem. Villanova just defended really well against Kansas. For, for the first, the first time, time all, year. all year, though. Like, I'm not just saying. Okay. You're talking about length and physicality and athleticism. Yeah, Villanova's but, like, got that there's one thing the about, like, length and physicality, and then there's other thing about, like, being able to move laterally and guard. Oh, okay. Because, like, Villanova, sure, it does have length, but it also is, like, like that Creighton will have guards against six eight forwards. Right. That doesn't that's so not, not I mean it's still not, worrisome. So Villanova's not one of the matchups on your list then if you it's like it's still worrisome, but I would say it's not one of the toughest ones. If you were just talking about pure matchups yes. and what gives Creighton problems. It is. It's like, what's not, the toughest matchup yeah, for Creighton? I think Marquette's gonna be a challenge. I think Butler's gonna be a challenge. Um and <laughs> those are the first two off the bat. I think Xavier can grind I mean it kinda has a win ugly right now. Mm-hmm. Um with that roster, it has yeah, to. with that roster, Seton Hall. Well, they're going to make it tough at the rim, I would imagine. Quincy McKnight can be a a, a menace. I don't know. I don't lean as I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I understand. What it, you're, I understand what you're saying with Butler. I just think when you say Butler as a tough matchup, you almost have to do the rest of the league. Because Butler, from a matchup standpoint, I think Butler is better in terms of like the way it, how consistent it is at playing tough, as opposed to how much of a matchup problem they present for teams. That's what I think is special about Butler. But I think so that's why I think it's tough to say Butler is a tough matchup for Creighton, but Villanova might not be as much. You know what I mean? That one is hard for me to. I just think that Butler is better at. It's not about like an X's and O's thing. It's more just a mentality thing. Okay. The Butler will not back down, and they will bring that sort of whatever you want to deem it as physicality, relentless, relentlessness defensively. You're talking about like opposing forces getting together. Is that basically what yeah. you're saying? Okay, that makes sense. So Butler, Marquette, Xavier, Providence at all? Who? No. Uh, 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 yeah, maybe I don't know. Providence hasn't shown that it's going to 
from a mentality standpoint, bring it for 40 minutes. Absolutely. Sure. Um, St. John's. St. John's will do it for 40 minutes. That, that, St. John's will be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because they're relentless whether they're good or not. Right. I mean, the, 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 uh, the difference there is, like, they don't mind pushing tempo and playing up and down. And even though you may turn the ball over a little bit, if you're Creighton, be you'll be able to. Situations. Yeah, you'll be able. You'll be playing a a, a a game that's to your liking stylistically. Okay. Georgetown. Um, I think Georgetown will also be a a team that Creighton feels comfortable against. Okay. So Butler, Xavier, Marquette are yours. Yeah. What are yours? Um. I think Seton Hall because they'll have tenacity and athleticism on the perimeter and length that Creighton won't see anywhere else outside of any Marquette inside. So it'll be tough to – I mean, in order to beat Seton Hall, Creighton's just going to have to be flat out find a way to be tough enough on the perimeter because there isn't an ulterior option because going inside is not going to work. They're just going to get denied at the rim all day. Um that's so. That's Seton Hall. I think is one. Um, Xavier is another because of their length and their depth and their experience. Um, and yeah, I do agree with you on Marquette because they've just got they've just got dudes who don't mind just getting in your face. You know what I mean? They they know that they they know that they aren't as good as they were team-wise, offensively, they don't have as many weapons, so they kind of have to make up for it by being tough on that end of the floor on a more consistent basis. And um, I do think they have enough length and athleticism across the board uh, to really disrupt Creighton's flow offensively. So Marquette, Xavier, and Seton Hall would be my three that I would pick for toughest matchups. I can't believe we didn't name Villanova. God, we're going to pay for that one. You think uh, so? <laughs> yeah, because they're Villanova. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I mean, I'm with you. I was down on Villanova coming into the year, too. Look, they, Even did, more they, so did, they, they defended waxed, against Kansas, and maybe that is this, the turning point. But they're still 84th in defensive efficiency. No, believe me. They've been adjusted defensive Before efficiency. that game, I was not. I was like, yeah, Villanova gives up as much as they get. So if you're going to be in a shootout with them, if you can, and and to me, it that's, favors you if, and if like, it's a shootout, I, like and Creighton's in a shootout, yeah, that I'm, I'm saying that that's a good matchup. Like okay. Creighton is comfortable in shootouts. No, I totally agree. It was it wasn't until the Kansas game where I was like, oh, maybe they have turned a corner here. Right, maybe they. But we have to see because uh, that's just one performance. Yeah, even though it was a pretty impressive one. Um, let's see. Uh, Joey Tempo wants to know. Game plan versus Marquette. So the the keys to success, I guess, for Creighton. Oh, man, I haven't watched Marquette enough to, like, to um, sort it out. Okay. Well, I mean, taking a, care of the ball From a length one. standpoint, they need to get Theo John in foul trouble. So maybe getting him in ball screens and maybe picking up a cheap one, maybe 30 feet away from the hoop would be it's ideal. Not, yeah. Because I mean, you want him off the floor because he's going to – it's going to be a tough matchup for him with Christian Bishop. Dealing with that is if you don't get Leo John in foul trouble, he's going to get Bishop in foul trouble, and then you're really in trouble, basically. Yeah. So it's going to be the battle of who can get those first two fouls. Because we know Wojo and Mack will both pull those guys and sit them until the half resets. You know what I'm saying? I think just generally, though, not just give 
Theo in foul trouble. It's more just make him work. I mean, Theo. Make him chase guards. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or just chase bigs. Like, yeah, when, yeah, Cre- when Creighton's cool. had success against Theo John, like, I feel like Creighton's put him in ball screens and made him move. Mm-hmm. And beat him down the floor. The just difference, don't the, let the difference him this year is though, Martin can't stretch the floor like Bishop, like, or Bishop can't stretch the floor like Martin could. Yeah. So that's not that's one thing where Bishop or uh, John might not have to be pulled as far away from the painted area right. as he was last year. It'll be interesting to see how they defend ball screens now. It will be with him. Like if they go to that drop coverage that teams have used against Creighton, um, I'm curious to see how the Jays attack that. Yeah. But that would be an opportunity there to get the Owen foul trouble once you get him moving, even though he's kind of playing that sort of rim protector role. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they got to have fight. to get the ball out of Marcus Howard's hands yeah, as much as possible. I know it's not as, not going to be as easy because you just don't have the guys that can hedge as well as Martin could without picking up fouls and using length properly. Um, I think because Christian Bishop gets in foul trouble when he does that a yeah. lot. When he when he has to come out and push a guard out to towards half court, he ends up getting a hip check foul, and that's bad news. I mean, so, I think I think one of the things you have to do against Marcus Howard is you can't let him do. You can't you can't give him the shots that he wants, which is obviously that's what you want to do against everybody. But like, you can't uh, let him size up defenders in isolation situations, basically. Yeah, I mean, like if he's taking those step I mean he is really comfortable taking those step back threes um when he's moving to his left he like pulls up for those jumpers and it just feels natural even though it kind of looks like it might be a tough shot and even if you have a hand in in your face like but I feel like it's almost like you gotta if if Marcus Howard is driving into the lane and being a playmaker like that's the best yes option so like you don't want him taking any step in threes Right. Like where you're basically just sitting and waiting for him to come to you because he will stop and pop from ridiculous ranges and get hot that way. You want basically to be chasing him where you're either on his hip and you're chasing him downhill and he's having to settle for mid-range 15 to 18 footers or getting in the lane and trying to finish at the rim or either stop in the middle and shoot floaters. Yeah. You don't want him in your you don't want him just dribbling down your throat and popping a three because he can knock those down all day and right. get hot doing so. And then after that point, there is no turning him off. Right. That's about right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like you just can't let him have that. He's so good with the ball in his hands, like just creating space, just enough room for him to pull up. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't allow that. Which is easier said than done, obviously, because that's what he's really good at. Yeah. And then I think another key for Creighton would be to get off to a really good start offensively, because I think if you can bury this team um, on the road in a good environment with a and get going yourself offensively, Marquette's going to have a tough time catching up to you because they don't really have the firepower to dig out of a hole. You know what I'm saying? So I think if Creighton just gets off to a good start offensively and gets into a good rhythm and gets a couple guys confident, um, they can sit on a lead and hold it. Yeah. I think one of the things, to your point, like that is huge, um, how Creighton starts and plays in the first half. I think Creighton's ability to maintain its aggressiveness despite Marquette's length and its size will be key. It's yeah. like how does is Creighton settling for jump shots or is it like really driving it into the heart of Marquette's defense and, and then, then like causing rotations. Yeah, and then yeah. kicking it out and then reversing the ball. Like sometimes Creighton can get into these 
stretches against these against teams that have a lot of length where it doesn't the ball sits on one side of the floor because the Jays are maybe a little bit off balance or like just don't they don't have that edge that they have against teams that maybe will sit back a little bit against them um, when teams extend their defensive uh, they've got length and they extend their defense beyond the three point line and try to kind of push Creighton out sometimes Creighton will like kind of move back on its heels a little bit it's got to be sort of on its front foot and making aggressive plays and if and if the Jays are doing that like I think they're because of the way this offense is uh designed and how many shooters are on the court like the Jays are going to give even a team like Marquette that has done well defensively like the Jays are going to give them problems yeah but I think a lot of it's going to come down to Creighton's aggressiveness and what happens when the ball gets to uh like eight feet Yep. Can the can the Jays get the ball to the, to like that eight foot arc, um, and then uh, can they make plays outside of that? Like I think, but, that's but yeah, but I think that I think it's important that Creighton has to lead the dance from a style of play perspective because if it settles into a game where it's kind of gritty and grimy, and Marcus Howard hasn't got going, it already favors Marquette, and the risk of him getting on a heater is still there, mm-hmm. which puts them kind of in a double hole because they haven't established their style of play and they haven't necessarily shut off Marcus Howard just yet because he can kind of get off at any moment so I think it's really important to be out first throw the first couple punches and kind of always be a step ahead and make sure you establish your rhythm offensively otherwise it's going to be tough if you're just in a rock fight with Marquette and Marcus Howard is just sitting there waiting to heat up that kind of favors them as the game wears on yeah um, and our last one is from Brian, which gets us into the Davion Mint stuff. Uh, any chance Mints enters the transfer portal? So let's that'll be obviously part of it. So Davion Mints, um, Greg McDermott announced today that Davion Mints um, has decided to kind of exercise his what every player has is basically a sit out year because um, you get five years to play four um, and because of the way um, his ankle is not progressed enough to the point where he's got his explosiveness and his bounce back he feels like it's just he can't be the same player um, that he wants to be and that he thinks the team needs him to be in order to be on the floor so he's just gonna sit and rehab um, run the scout team and um, you know give it a go and he's 100% for one more senior season Um, so I guess I guess here's how we'll jump into it. How do you feel about the decision from Davion's perspective? Um, well, it's tough because I haven't talked to him about it. Oh, so I don't really so, know what his thoughts are. I okay, well, defer I, to you. I, I did talk to him about it then. I guess I'll do it. Um, I, I think I understand where he's coming from. And I think something that I hadn't considered, and this is why I kind of like to talk to different people to because I like getting other people's perspectives because you don't always – sometimes I don't always feel like I think about everything and consider it to the fullest extent. I would always assume going into a situation like this that it was a, it would be a selfish decision for a guy like Davion to sit out because of an injury like this and not give it whatever he's got. You know what I'm saying? Especially with a team that's already kind of behind the eight ball from a – I don't know. It's not a number standpoint in total, but it's a number standpoint in terms of front line and health. And I figure the more you've got 
at your disposal from a backcourt standpoint and a skill standpoint is more to your advantage to counter the things that you don't have on the interior. Yeah. So whether he was 100% or not, I think he could have been useful. What I hadn't considered was the fact that he's so hindered by his in, by this injury that has not healed the way he thought it would heal, um, despite the progress that was made, and that he don't doesn't he clearly doesn't have his lateral quickness or his balance. We've seen that in practice on a daily basis that it's not there. What I hadn't considered is that him sitting out is a selfless decision because of the the damage he could do by trying to play in terms of messing up the continuity and the rhythm and and just you know being less than 100% on the floor does it actually hurt more than it helps despite him despite them needing numbers in that area so i get it i think it actually it actually isn't a selfish decision for him to do it um i think it makes a lot of sense what i'm not totally sure about is his future here because it's not like you know unless Tyshawn leaves early for the pros or or Marcus or something like that happens Creighton's adding Antoine Jones to the mix um so it's you know another mouth to feed in terms of shots and getting guys integrated into the the flow of the system and finding right rotations that are effective on the floor at the same time and and all that so I think it I think to Brian's question, um, in terms of the the chance that Davion enters the transfer portal, I would consider it greater than fifty percent at this point, considering considering the fact that he has not a considered that at this point and isn't going to consider it. I feel like it's still open. If there were if there were you know better assurances that he's not going to do that and that he just wants to have one more year at Creighton and that he feels like he can give that if he's just healthy it'd be different but I get the sense that transferring might be an option so I would my answer to that question in the long form here is greater than 50 percent Mr. Niatawa well you know I think that the toughest part in this is like I mean sure we don't know or like we can tell in practice that he's not 100 percent right but like you just I guess you just don't know when he will get him be if you could if you could look into the future and be like yeah he's going to be 100% healthy in 2 weeks i think i'd better have a better be in a better position to make an assessment on this i think that's what makes it so challenging is just like the uncertainty of when he'll be at that point where you can help the team um like he'll will he he'd be a plus addition <coughs> cuz like you like you're saying you know like I, I do think his experience and veteran savvy, even when he's not fully healthy, would be would be beneficial for this team. But um, you know, when you're not at 100, percent there's clearly some liabilities that could be exploited by an opponent, especially at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I I'm not gonna. I, I I've always I'm I'm kind of like of the mind players can decide whatever they want to do it's 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 we can we can act like that every decision should be team oriented only Mm -hmm. and pretend that we're in a fantasy world where the team concept uh that that sort of purity of it in college basketball is 
the only motivating factor, but it's not. I mean, like, players have it. They blend their individual goals with the team goals, Mm -hmm. and then they try to make assessments on their future based on that. And we've seen it at this at Creighton. Uh, we've seen it over the last three years play out. Now it doesn't it hasn't played out in the middle of the season in this in this form. Right. But Martin Crumple's gone pro, and Kyrie Thomas and Justin Patton have all gone pro with eligibility remaining. Samson Froling left early with eligibility eligibility remaining, and now Davion Mintz is electing to wait to complete his eligibility, and we'll see if he does it here at Creighton or not. So, like, I think. Can I just interrupt you real quick? Because yeah. on the on to that point, the one of the reasons why I feel like this why I'm leaning towards this being an unselfish decision from Davion's part is he's not transferring yet. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? He's going to play scout team for Creighton. He's going to still help this team prepare for Big East play and do all those things. <clears throat> it, I would I would probably be on a different wavelength if I felt like if Davion, if they had announced that he's going to sit out and transfer, that'd be one thing. Then I would feel like he's just, it, it would be like he's just, making the move from Davion's perspective. Mm. But from talking to him, I feel like he's making the move not only from his own perspective, but from his own perspective in terms of how it can impact this team going forward. That's why I feel like it's not a I feel like it's too it's it's I think it's I think it's misguided if you just peg that selfish. Because that's the way he explained it um doesn't it wasn't just from Davion's perspective. It was from the perspective of how it can he help the team and how is he best suited to impact this team in a positive way and i appreciate that but i also would counter argue or my counter argument would be well what if you're 100 percent healthy in two weeks yeah that's true but that's the, the, other, the other factor know. is because the other thing is what if someone in that guard court goes down yeah. and he's ready right will he pull that red shirt with five games left in right. his senior season Exactly. Or, so you know, and that and that's where it gets really tough, and it's challenging, and and, and like it's it's why I I would never like I'm not I wouldn't be critical of whatever he decided to do. I mean, it's his college basketball career. He can play it out however he wants. He's fortunate enough to have worked to put himself in this position. Like, it's not an easy decision one way or the other, right. um, especially given that uncertainty of not knowing when you're going to get healthy, um, but. I, I I think that um, I I really appreciate you saying what you said about sort of to consider what Davion would what his impact would be and not at a hundred percent what what we've seen in practice to this point um, as he's operated at, I don't even know what the the percentage would be sixty seventy mm-hmm. um, where, where he's not had the the explosion the uh, the lateral movement that he's shown and showcased even like in September in August um, like what version of this like hobbled Davion Mintz what what kind of contributions could he make on the court and uh, and you know would he get exploited I think that is a worthy sort of question to be asking you, you the assumption that if he were to rejoin the team and step on the court today that he would be good to go it's not there mm-hmm. and it's i mean it's it's tough because it's a high ankle sprain and you you think well high ankle sprain like should heal from that after a while but that injury lingers mm-hmm. and um everybody everybody's body's different so um not an easy decision i'm just kind of like um 
I don't know. I guess I, I am, uh, I'm, I'm of the mind of just like, I'm, I want to just, I'm, I'm glad that it's, there's some finality to it. Sure. I think that that helps, but I'm also, <clears throat> it's hard to make an assessment where you don't like know how things could play out. Or so you're going to, you're going to lay off on answering for now. Is that what you're saying? To Brian's question about Oh, chance, do I think if... The uh, chance that he answers the transfer portal? Oh, that's a good... Yeah, I, well, I thought you spelled that out really well. Okay. Um, I, I would agree with you okay. that it's... Higher than 50? Yeah. Because of all the reasons we stated. Cool. Because he wants to play, and... Yes. He wants his senior... He clearly wants his senior season to have an impact. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's... The available minutes and shots and everything's going to be less next year. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Unless, um, unless there's a player departure. Yeah, right. So that's uh, it for questions. Thank you, everybody, for chiming in. Um, we always appreciate that. Um, it helps generate conversation. Otherwise, we could just make up stuff as we go, and that usually leads us to being here for ungodly amounts of time. So um, now we're going to jump into uh, kind of our Biggie's preview. And... Like I said before, I think just a good way to kind of get it into an organized fashion so we're not just ranting and raving about different teams and following, chasing um, down rabbit holes and whatnot is uh, just to start like a 10 through 1 countdown and kind of analyze the teams as we go and basically our reasoning for having them in those positions. So it's going to be a Big East preview slash how we see the league playing out. Are you comfortable with that? Okay. Yeah, you don't sound comfortable. Well, I don't know. It's so like this. Because I mean, it is going to be held to your like. It is going to be held as a prediction. Like I honestly, I honestly, this league is super wide open. So yeah, I think that it will. There's a chance we're going to look really stupid. It'll change by the week. There's no question about it. But I think as we can go, as we go along, we can also amend some of our opinions. on Also, the winner, first place, might be eleven and seven. I agree. Like there, like, there might be a three-way tie for yeah, first at eleven like and seven. Ten and eight might get it done. <laughs> yeah, like it's gonna <laughs> yeah. be crazy. Um, I'll start though, um, and I think ten. I think ten at this point is kind of easy, um, and I would certainly like to hear any arguments for why it, why it's not. I mean, it's based on body of work and what you see, and in terms of like efficiency and how the thing operates. I don't know how anybody has earned tenth place more than Providence at this point, considering what. They've done in the non-con. Um, you know, they've lost just some inexplicable games. Uh, you know, they went out to that. Uh, what's the tournament in Anaheim? I forget what it's called. It's like the is it Wooden Legacy? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so they went out to that thing, and you know, they lost to Long Beach State, who's not good. Um, they lost to Charleston, who's. Okay, um, they lost, they got worked at home by Penn, who is just okay. They got they they were down twenty to Northwestern and to Penn, who are both like just okay teams. But they were getting run to the gym at, at one point. Um, Rhode Island dictated everything from the jump against them. Kind of ran them out of the gym at the same time. Um, I mean the the win over Pepperdine, Stony Brook, like all those were close games. Like they just haven't been until the. Texas game, they haven't been really overly impressive from start to finish. And I thought the Texas game had more to do with how Texas played than how Providence played. So, I think they're, they're for me, they're the 10th place team right now going into league play. I think they 
I don't think there's even an argument for it to be close at this point. I think they're easily 10. Yeah. What do you think? Well, and I think what's scary about that is that... They're talented. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're 10, and they're clearly, they're clearly 10, but and I think that's probably what's disappointing <coughs> probably for the rest of the, the these conference coaches. You know, you've got... I don't think Providence has a shot to make the NCAA tournament unless it does something insane in conference play um, or wins the Big East tournament. Because of because yeah, they'd of, have to, I think they'd have to be like thirteen or fourteen conference wins, right? Yeah, right. yeah like but everybody, but, but everybody yeah. else is nine, like for five hundred, five hundred, right? Right. Yeah. If they get, if everyone else, if they get to nine wins, like they have a good shot of, of getting that berth. Mm-hmm. But that Providence loss is when Providence beats teams because Providence will beat teams. Yep. Um, it's not going to look great because of what you said and because yeah. of the losses that Providence incurred, even though we know Providence is going to improve and it's going to be a tough out night after night in the Big East. So, um, yeah, Providence is, is the worst team in the league based on what it's done so far. Can't shoot. I mean, honestly, like the, the mentality of the group looked totally disjointed and uh, they just didn't look like Providence for a good portion of the season. Maybe the Texas game and a, and a break in the start of Big East play is enough of a, provides enough of a jolt for them to find themselves again because they do have talent. But uh, they're the worst team yeah. so far. This is where it's going to get really stupid because, <laughs> honestly, 9 through 1, we're going to have teams in spots that just it might, it might be flip-flopped. Because like, it's crazy to say all we said about Providence that they're clearly 10. Number 9 is going to feel like a team that we could argue for them being higher, much higher. Um, my number 9 is going to be St. John's at this point. I think for, for, for a couple reasons. Like, one – there is, like, Mustafa Heron, it was reported that he's back at practice today, but he is technically still out for them with an yeah. ankle injury. And as you alluded to earlier, ankle injuries tend to have a high re-injury rate. Um, so what does he look like, A, coming back off of that, an injury that's kept him out for multiple games, um, and does he re-aggravate it and whatnot? So them only kind of having one really known commodity in terms of LJ Figueroa is their all-league guy. Um, instead of the one-two punch with Figueroa and with Heron, I think makes them uh, vulnerable for a bottom five spot and that nine spot. Also, they haven't played a true road game yet, so that hurts. Arizona game was pretty much a road game, though. Yeah, but it's still not a true road environment. It's not going to be a it, that Arizona game was not an environment like they'll be facing on the road in the Big East. So I still have questions about their ability to take that, you know, in your face run and gun. Um, throw caution to the wind style on the road and execute it effectively enough to win, you know, whatever they're going to have to win and not be ninth place. Um, I agree the Arizona win is impressive, although I feel like Arizona is kind of overrated a little bit. Um, but that wasn't a true road game, even though it was an impressive win. Um, and then the West Virginia game was really weird. Like, there was a lot of fouls, and it was kind of choppy, and I don't think West Virginia played all that great. And, it was at MSG, so the crowd was all. I mean, I just feel like they haven't been tested away from home. Okay, but and they're going to win in some crazy tough environments. In the maybe, Bees. maybe the game was weird against West Virginia. Maybe Arizona's not as good, but like those are two of the better wins for the conference. No question, especially the West Virginia one. Yeah, yes, um, I agree with that. However, that not that schedule just I don't I don't think that schedule prepared them for what this league is going to be. Okay, I'm so gonna, I'm putting them at number nine. I'm gonna, also because of Heron. Being I'm going to put DePaul at nine. Good old DePaul. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think DePaul started out strong, and I think DePaul peaked. Oh, you think they peaked already? I okay. think they peaked. It's 
too early, huh? <laughs> yeah. Peaked in, what, November, Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving time, maybe? They've got five really good, like, their starting five's legit. Yeah. That's good. That's a good team. That's it. So you don't think, so when you're talking about wins with, and I'm not trying to challenge you too much here, but when you're talking about West Virginia and Arizona being impressive wins for St. John's, uh, Texas Tech and Iowa look like pretty good ones as well. Especially the way the Iowa one yeah. went down in Iowa City to smack right. them like that. I mean, they were up by 30. That was like two months ago, though, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. It goes to your peak argument, for sure. <laughs> it also goes to your, maybe that's a trend, not a blip type of thing. Could right. be. Could, but yeah, yeah. So I'm just, I, I would, you know, there's an argument that those are as impressive or more impressive than the St. John's one, considering the Iowa one was a true road game, and that's my question about the Johnnies. No? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. What? I just, you, you sound like you're going to keep the ball in the nine spot still. I am. Okay, you are. Yeah, I'm going to keep it. Not enough to shove them out of there? All right, that's fair enough. I'm keeping them in the nine, yeah. Um, well, my eighth place team is going to be DePaul. Okay. Uh, you're going to be shocked, by the way, by how I'm sorting this out. Go okay. <laughs> Good, I like that. So my eighth place team is going to be DePaul because I just feel like there's a lot of DePaul still left in them, and while they did beat Texas Tech at home, there are two caveats to that. One, Texas Tech didn't have um, their leading scorer, which also goes as an argument against Creighton, I realize that. Um, but they were kind of like chasing Texas Tech that whole game. And it was a grinder, it was ugly. Texas Tech had to miss a key free throw at the end to lose it um, for Texas for DePaul to tie it and send it to overtime. So I while they won that game, I didn't feel like they controlled that game. Um, the Iowa win is m- massively impressive. I mean, that's as bad of a beatdown. Um, I mean, that was as bad of a beatdown as Creighton San Diego State. I mean, it was just an ugly. Like, Iowa was especially on the eight road. steps slow. Yeah. It was on the road. Um, DePaul looked like world beaters that night. There's no question about it. However, they also got run out of their own gym by Buffalo, who's kind of okay this year. You know, I mean, that was like an 18-point game early in the second half, and it stayed that way. And they were just, like, awful in transition uh, defensively. They couldn't slow anything down. They couldn't stop Buffalo from scoring. Um, that one stuck out to me as Buffalo something. lost to Army. Yeah. Like, six days after that. All right. That stuck out to me as, a, as something that, like, a lot of Big East teams can take advantage of. Um, and the other game I saw was Cleveland State, which was – one of the worst basketball teams I've seen in a yeah. few years. So I just feel like there's a lot of DePaul still left in DePaul, and I don't have confidence that they're a top-five team in the league just yet. So they're going to be in the eighth spot for me. Here's my eight. You ready? Yeah. Seton Hall. I like it. Seton Hall. Um, if because Seton Hall were healthy, right. I'd be all about it. But uh, All about what? What's their ceiling if they're healthy to you? Oh, like quick. one, two, or three in the league. Okay. All right, so why are they eighth? They're not healthy. That's it? No other reason? Honestly, yeah. Okay. I just don't think that – I mean, they – like, I watched a good amount of the Maryland game and uh, on, on DVR, and they – like, they – It was disgusting. It, it was really gross. But, like, yeah. can you – can they bottle that up and do that on a nightly basis? No way. No. no. So, like – Because I mean, as, as, as much as it was – what Seton Hall was doing to make things tough for Maryland. Maryland also played really bad that night. Mm-hmm. So it was a combination of both working at the same time. Can they do that enough over an 18-game slate or however long they need to get Sandro back? And um, obviously Miles Powell's situation is up in the air because concussions are wishy-washy as well. So can they bottle that up enough in the meantime to 
stay afloat until those guys are until those guys are back, right. and we don't know when they're going to be back. Right, and so I'm going to go. I'm going to agree I'm, with you on no. I'm putting. Them, I'm dropping them down to eight, and that's why I have to because, eight. and that's because of how close everything is. Oh, great. Like, I agree. No, I said we're going to look stupid. Yeah, because right. of how close everything like, is. Watch Miles Powell come back. Yeah. For the start of the biggies play, and then they just yeah. like rolling. But we're not going to look terribly at. stupid because we feel like everything from two to ten is going to be separated by a game or two. But we're going to look stupid based on positions here. I, I have yeah. no doubt. But I'm also not. I'm not worried about it. Um, Seton Hall's in seventh for me All for right. those reasons that I totally agree with you across the board. Um, not enough offensive firepower to deal with teams that just know you better from a personnel standpoint, can scout you better, and aren't going to be as bad. As Maryland was. I mean, you know, it's funny because the next day, you know, or two days later, Seton Hall played, I can't remember, Prairie View A&M or whatever I think it was, and it was just an atrocious performance. They won by 20 somehow yeah, because they just absolutely turned it on. But Prairie View A&M was, I think, you know, they out, they out, they were the better team for the first 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay, so that's, 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 that's. Like regression to the mean. Yeah, almost. exactly. Or like you're. Below the mean. Yeah, you see, and you talk about consistency. Seton Hall has not been consistent enough at being. At convincing me they're going to live up to their preseason hype of the preseason favorite in this league. So yeah. I have them seventh. Who's yours? Seventh is St. John's for me. I okay. just I feel like St. John's has been – when I watch them, I feel like they play to their strengths really well. Like they're not – remember watching like St. John's over the last couple of years, like they do things that you're just like, that. you aren't – this is not who you are. And I get that Mike Anderson doesn't have the players that he wants exactly to run the system that he wants, but – it just seems what they're doing fits the mentality of this group. It's almost, it's almost like I wish that they could have had this same system a year ago mm. um, with with Simon and and Shamori Ponce in the mix. Um, I, I worry about their depth. I worry about you know Heron's health, but I've been impressed, and so I like that they have an identity. So I'm going to give St. John's the nod at seven. Cool. Um, sixth for me is going to be a little bit of a shocker. I'm going to go with Xavier. And I just, from a from from their perspective, it's twofold. One, it goes along the same lines as St. John's. They did not test themselves, A, away from home. I mean, their only true road game, I think, is a loss at Wake Forest. Yeah. Oh, no, they beat TCU on the road. I take that back. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, that was an impressive win. I'll give them that because TCU is a pretty decent team this year. Um, even though they don't have Alex Robinson or Kwat Nawai. Um They lost at Wake Forest. They've had some close, close calls at home against Missouri State, Missouri. Um, they had a close call in a, on a neutral site against UConn. Like, they've played with fire a lot. Um, that Florida game was a five-point final, but it wasn't that close. Uh, Florida pretty much... You know, not ran them out of the gym, but beat them pretty convincingly with basically a four-guard lineup of 6-5 or under. So I feel like from a matchup standpoint, there's a lot of teams in the Big East that are just better offensively that can give Xavier problems. And Xavier isn't – I don't think Xavier is good enough defensively and certainly not consistent enough defensively to override the problems they still have offensively because it's basically the same roster returning. And other than maybe a marginal – Increase from Paul Scruggs and Najee Marshall in terms of their ability to shoot the ball from the perimeter. I don't think there's enough gain being made there to make them a contender. The, the three-point line moving back has hurt them. 
has hurt them. Providence, yeah. yeah, like there's some teams that have had have had like major drop offs, yeah, and that they're one of them. So to me, I, I got think, I got Xavier at six two. Okay, wow, yeah, we finally met a one. All right, we had we had Providence same. Oh yeah, you're right. I and like essentially, that. our bottom four, our like bottom four, quote unquote, is the same. Gotcha. It's just different order. So do you have any different reasoning for Xavier at six? Anything I left out? I don't. Uh, no, I got to be careful here because like Xavier is senior laden, mm-hmm. and at some point you would imagine that they're going to find a groove. Because actually, like to make a five or six game run, when then. you look at what Xavier's done over the last few seasons, like that's kind of been who Xavier is. Yep. Like, come February, Xavier is finds itself the toughest out in the league basically yeah but it's so like it just doesn't make sense it's maddening to watch the team go up and down in games mm-hmm. like if you look at, if you watch the wake forest game it was like they had no pulse until it was like six minutes left and they're down by 13 right. they're like oh you know what oh, we'll yeah. start playing now now and they, now they didn't now they didn't have Najee marshall for that game i understand that but however they should still as as experienced and talented as they are they should be beating wake forest without Najee marshall like that's just i mean in my opinion that shouldn't at have least, been. A, that shouldn't have been a tough game. At least not have to crawl out of like the, you know, the steep hole that they had dug for themselves right. until the end. So, and that's kind of just been. They've just been up and down all year. It just mm. seems like. Um, I mean, they've had. Bat- I mean, Western Carolina was a battle. Like Missouri was a battle. Missouri State was a battle. Like they've had some close calls with teams that they should have put away at Cintas that they should be putting yeah. away and not even worrying about. Right. And like I said. The fact that they had those close calls at home with as, as experienced the teams they have, and that their only real true road tests were, you know, a loss at Wake Forest without Najee Marshall and a win at a TCU team that's kind of in transition without their point guard and their and their best, um, toughest matchup from a from a size and skill standpoint, and in those two guys that the Horn Frogs lost, like that's yeah. that to me still leaves a lot of lot to be desired from a team that had a high a lot of high expectations coming into the year. I mean, they were picked third, right, behind Villanova and Seton Hall. Yeah, and yeah, ranked so. in the top twenty-five. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, top twenty-five teams right there. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen that yet out of them at all. I wanted to put them lower, but I, I, I just, I like, I do think Travis Steele's a good coach, and I do think that they have enough talent, enough yeah. veteran talent that like they're gonna, at some point, they're gonna find, they're gonna find themselves. Yeah. If Seton Hall were healthy, I'd have them lower. But right now, they have more answers than the, the th- uh, three teams I have below them. Okay. So that's why they're six for me um five i have marquette here at five because like xavier they've gone into funks offensively unlike xavier they have inexperience is their reason but how i just don't feel like there's a i don't feel like there's a a a surefire number two behind marcus howard yet i think that's going to be a problem because if you've got a number one that's just a marked man every single night it's he's not going to be Superman all the time for 18 games. So someone else is going to step up. And, you know, Kobe McEwen was maybe the leading candidate to be that guy, and he's really struggled. Um, you know, is Sakara Annam that dude every single night? Is Brendan Bailey that dude every single night? Um, I just don't know. So to me, there's too many questions there on the offensive end of the floor. Now, from a defensive standpoint, they're really good. There's no question about that. But also, foul trouble has hurt them. Um, when they're, you know, when Theo John gets in foul trouble, what can they do defensively? You know, how how menacing can they be without that rim protection? Um, and worse, if Marcus Howard's one of those guys who gets in foul trouble, uh, 
do you stay afloat offensively? Because they've gone into some severe funks offensively against some not great competition and, and you know, kind of stayed afloat until the half resets. Cause, um, so I, there's just not a lot, no, enough to trust there at this point yet. I do think they're a really good team. I think they're an NCAA tournament quality team. But right now I have them five because I just don't know. There's more questions than answers for me right now in the post-Hauser world for the Golden Eagles. I got Georgetown at five. Okay. Um, I mean, it's almost like similar reasons. Like I just don't. I don't. I don't think Georgetown's a good defensive team. But I. I also think that. I don't know. Can you can you rely on an on an offense that's going to center around Mac McClung for? I mean, I know Yurt Seven's been pretty good, and they got a grad transfer who's been playing Terrell pretty well. Allen from yeah. UCF. Yeah, he's been playing the pretty Kendra well. replacement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Settled in nicely. Yes. Um, but. I don't know. There's a, it's a lot to throw on the shoulder of a sophomore. Sure. As talented as he is. So, I got Georgetown down there. Okay. Four? Me first? Oh, I got Creighton at four. Um, who's left? Yeah, I have Creighton at four as well. Um, I have Creighton at four because, I mean, there's just too many things that can go wrong. If, as simple as Christian Bishop getting in foul trouble... What does that do to Creighton's interior presence, and how healthy can Kelvin Jones be in this 18-game slate against the physical front lines he's going to face, and how how much can Creighton fight on the boards and mm. and you know not get just bludgeoned with second chance opportunity after opportunity and get in foul trouble and put these at free throw lines? I do think they are better defensively, but they're just really right now they're just one line of defense. They're just a they're. They're a perimeter defense that tries to plug gaps and keep everything in front of them. And if you get by that, there is no really – There's no rim there's protection. No, there's no yeah. rim protection. So that, to me, puts them on shaky ground because almost, they're one note defensively. What you're saying about Creighton uh, almost wants me to flip-flop them in Georgetown. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, maybe we'll, we'll come back to that, though. But I do – because the reason I they're have, in four for me, the reason they're a, a top half of the league team for me is because Marcus, Mitch, and Tyshawn are – like special good, yeah. Um, in terms of how talented they are offensively and how efficient they are, and I think that's good enough to make you a top half of the league team, and they'll win enough games. The way I was, there, I the think. way I was thinking of it is like I had Georgetown at five and Creighton at four, mostly because I think Creighton, when Creighton matches up against Georgetown, it'll be the best. Like, oh, you chose, last, you basically like, flipped a, who was better between those two teams. Mm-hmm, okay. But but the case you're laying out is kind of like more of a big picture thing in terms of like who's. Do you want to hear my suited. Georgetown argument before you hear the before you flip flop? Well, maybe? what you have Georgetown ahead of Creighton? I do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you want to hear why I have Georgetown ahead of Creighton before you decide? If do you, you have Georgetown? Do you have Georgetown at three? Yes. Okay, go on. So Georgetown's at three for me because. I do like a Mac McClung led team. I think he's been. I think when you talk, when you mentioned earlier that the three point line being pushed back has kind of turned, has kind of made boys become men. I think he's answered that challenge, especially since a kid Joe's gone out. If you look at his numbers, I had him. I, I don't want to. I had him on my phone, but uh, he's you know near fifty percent from the field, um, around forty five percent from three. Um, and 85, I think, percent from the line since Akinjo went out, or since Akinjo transferred. So he's been super efficient, and that three-point line hasn't bothered him. Um, he's a bucket. I mean, he's kind of like a Marcus Howard-type bucket. Like, yeah, he's really yeah, tough. No, no. no, I agree with that. Um, I think Terrell Allen has done a great job of just, just you know, taking what Patrick Ewing wants his point guard to do and just, like, staying within that and not trying to be a superhero in every play and, you know, getting guys shots where they need them, 
Um, I think Yurt Seven is a really good low post player. I think as in terms of just offensively, I don't think there's a, a, a low post player in the Big East that has a better skill set than him around the rim. Um, so when you talk about like an inside outside punch from Georgetown, I like the McClung Yurt Seven uh, combo, and I think Terrell Allen has done a really good job replacing Akinjo and running the team. And then they just have a bunch of dudes who understand their role: Jamarco Pickett, uh, Javon Mosley. Um, you know, those guys are all pretty good athletes, pretty good two-way players that they can step out and hit threes, defend, rebound, do all the dirty work while those two guys are stars. So I like that mix. Um, I like that mixture to be a top top three team and a contender in the league. And honestly, since those defections, they have proven to be addition by subtraction because they haven't lost yet. They've won at Oklahoma State. They've won at SMU. Beat Syracuse. uh, Beat Syracuse at home. I mean, handled Syracuse at home. It wasn't really close. Um, they've been really impressive since. Dude, since Allen's been killing it. Killing it. If you look at his numbers, I mean, like it's crazy. And the thing is, like, within this offense, like he's exactly what they need. Like yes. he's not taking shots, and he's just basically facilitating. Basically, yeah, and it's crazy. And he's got experience. And he's and, coming and from an NCAA tournament to team. When he's needed to score, he has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, he's got that experience. Yeah. I think I'm gonna flip flop Creighton and Georgetown. Okay. And so I, 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 you? I wouldn't be surprised if Creighton beat them twice. Still, but, but I said the matchup. Yeah, okay. but I think that Makes Georgetown sense. over the long haul, like that. You're so that puts Creighton. Things. That puts Georgetown I got Creighton in the fifth and Georgetown fourth. fourth. Okay, Georgetown's my three. So you so okay? You, so uh, go ahead and explain why you're flipping flop in Georgetown and Creighton. Well, we quick. just talked about it. Okay, so that's yeah. That's, all you agree with everything basically, right? Okay, I, so I think I mean Marcus Sigorowski, Tyshawn Alexander, and Mitch Balik are like that's the best three gu- combo of three guards in the league. I agree, but. The deficiencies elsewhere are like they're not going away. They're pretty glaring, yeah. Honestly, and yeah. it's it, they just can't. You, everyone, every I kind of wrote this a little bit in my recap today. It's like every Big East team has flaws, mm-hmm. but not to that degree. Creighton just they there's no answer for it. No, they just they just have to hope. Creighton has to hope that it is so good at what it's good at mm-hmm. that the flaws don't show up as much. That they're able to mask them because they're so they're they're doing everything else well. Um, and I don't know. It seems like a tough way to live. For sure. So uh, so then we jump up to you. So you've just flip-flopped Creighton and Georgetown. So now you have uh, Creighton fifth, Georgetown fourth. Who is your third-place team? It's I, It's got to be Marquette. Okay. I don't know how I ended up with Marquette this high. Yeah, I, I don't think you feel good about that one. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I do like their defense. Okay. And I told you at the they start. Are really good I told you at the start of the year, like if Marquette is gonna like if we're if we're gonna get to this point in the season where we're not talking about the Hauser brothers, it's because Marquette had bought into sort of being a kind of grinded out team that relies on its athleticism and its length and just like makes it nightmarish to play against them mm-hmm. because of what they can do defensively. I think they're closer to that. I don't know if they're quite there, but they do have all three components. I mean, length, athleticism, and physicality. They have all, all yeah. those components defensively. Do they have the mentality? Right. That's the other piece. Because, like, Butler has a mentality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Marquette has that mentality, but I actually think they can be okay with just one, with just Marcus Howard, because of what they can do defensively. And they can stay in games uh, with their defense, even if Marcus Howard isn't hitting, and they can find a way. Um, I mean, when they've when they've had 
when they've needed someone else to step up so far this year, it, it has come, right? Except for Maryland. Except for, the, I guess, their losses, which is yeah. probably well, easy. Well, I guess the Maryland one, Ma- someone yeah. stepped up. Marcus Howard didn't. <laughs> Marcus yeah, Howard yeah. wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. But Brendan Bailey, Brendan was, Bailey was really good. Uh, yeah, no. A beast. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll, give him, I'll give him three, but okay. I'm nervous about that one. Yeah, I feel like you really are. <laughs> It was funny because I thought you were going to put Butler at three and then really be in a tough position, but you, you no, stuck. Now no. Butler's a top two team for you. Good luck. Um, Butler's number two for me. Okay. Um, you know, I, I really do love how, how consistent they are at just, like, doing what they do. And I know when you hear the Butler way, you can probably, like, I don't know, maybe get a little cynical about a slogan, if you will. But honestly, they're just, like, they're just different than everybody in this league because they just don't get outside of who they are. Never. I mean, Kamar Baldwin is going to take some shots that just look just idiotic. That like That's not good offense. But he's good at making those tough shots. Like He's good at just rising up from 18 feet over a defender and knocking down a terrible two. Um, he's really good at stepping in from way beyond his three-point range from his from that 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 tells you in his career that he should be shit taking that shot and he hits it and he can get going and he can carry them offensively maybe not to the degree that miles powell and marcus howard can carry their teams but just one notch below it i think i mean yeah. he's capable of going for 30 if he gets going um he's proven that and he's a two-way guy at the same time where miles powell and marcus howard aren't he's a guy that can shut you off and make it a tough night for you to guard him so like he's a guy that can be plus 30 against you not just trading buckets with you right which is a different beast altogether so i do think he's reworked his shot mechanics you can clearly tell it from watching his games he doesn't pull it back behind his head as much and i think that's helped his efficiency from a shooting perspective he has struggled a bit late so he's kind of reverted a little bit back to um his kind of up and down shooting ways a little bit, so we'll see if he can shake out of that with Biggie's play coming up or if he reverts back to the to who he was before. Um, but, I mean, Aaron Thompson and Kamar Baldwin, in terms of a 1-2 on the perimeter, defensively you won't find a better combo in the league. Um, and they're a lot better inside than they were last year, I think. You know, when you look at Golden and Enzi. And then they got Smith back recently. That's that's a like a you know a trio of big men that are really good at you know setting ball screens, defending in the low post, uh, rebounding defensively, um, and they you know Golden's a pick and pop guy. He's not. Yeah, he he's can not, shoot it. Yeah, yeah. He, he can step out, and you have to honor it. Um, I like their. I like all of their components. I like the sum of their parts, and, and I think that and they Sean do. And Sean McDermott is. And Sean McDermott, right? You have a stretch the floor guy. It right now. Yeah. Like, that dude is knocking down. Even tough shots he's hit. Yeah. So they have experience. They know who they are. And they they just they just are steady as yeah. as anything. And I think they're clearly someone. When you look for a number two team in an elite league like this, which is, what, the third or second or third best league in the country, right? Um, number two has to be steady. And no one's more steady than Butler, I think. That's why I have them, too. Yeah. Uh, I actually have Butler at one. Okay, so two is going over. Yeah, going over, going over for me. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm kind of banking a lot on that Kansas game. Like we kind of talked a little bit earlier about how much 
stock oh, so we put into you're saying you would have had them lower, is what you're saying. Yes. It's not for the Kansas Yes. Game. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, just, so there's a lot of things that bother you about Villanova, though. I'm, I'm nervous about Villanova shoots a lot of threes because it, it always does. It did. Yep. But, like, it's not as good a shooting team as it has been over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. That concerns me. Um, defensively, it concerns me just because, like, you know, Sadiq Bay, I like his defensive ability, but then you're talking about like a freshman in Jeremiah Robinson Earl out there with like um, who else? Cole Swider is out there. Like those guys are plus offensive players, but defensively, like they've got a lot to learn. Um, and they're going to have to guard guards at times. Yep. I, I mean, the J Wright factor is probably. Part of the reason why I have him there at two, it's right. probably why you have him one. Yeah, it's part of it. Um, and the other thing too is like Villanova's always sort of had this like playmaking guard that it can just lean on when the game bogs down or it needs sort of a a push or the, maybe the game's actually teetering in Nova's favor and that guard needs to like stomp on the other team's throat. And I don't know if Colin Gillespie's that guy. I'm actually a huge Gillespie fan. I think he is underrated, but I don't think he affects the game in that way to where he's like the alpha. He's almost like he's a really good sort of subtle – has subtle impact on the game. And that kind of gives me pause a little bit with Nova too. Okay. because It's just a different Nova team. And so I'm a little hesitant to put him in the top spot, but – I have them too, so that's pretty like Yeah, no. It's pretty high. You know, two yeah, exactly. Like I I have Villanova one number one, and I know I'm gonna sound like a giant big fraud because going into the year I thought Villanova was gonna be like the fourth best team in this league because they had so much experience that they lost from last year. Not just experience, but like when you look at the usage rate from Eric Pascal and Phil Booth, like they leaned on those dudes heavily. So it's not like they had a known commodity replacing them. Um, just like they had to just elevate their roles a little bit. Like they had to replace guys that they leaned on heavily. And they weren't even that all that great of a team last year. I mean, they got smoked in the second round. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely blown off the floor. Um, so I felt like their ceiling was significantly lower than past Villanova teams. Um, but I have them won just because, like, I think this league is just going to be a dogfight basically every night. And when you look at what Villanova can do from a talent standpoint, I agree with you that they do get a little three-happy. However, when you look at their roster, you've got Cole, you know, just like Cole Swider, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, uh, Colin Gillespie, and Jermaine Samuels. I forgot about Jim, Jermaine Samuels. Didn't even bring him. Yeah, up. how dare you? Yeah, um, <laughs> my bad. Yeah, uh, those five guys are all two level scorers. They can get, they can create their own shot and get all the way to the rim. They can be post up nightmares in terms of they get a smaller defender yep. on them, and they can step out and shoot it. Um, I mean, Jermaine Samuels did a huge three against Kansas, and he's not even a guy that you want. You last year you would want shooting that shot, and he hit a Honestly, big one. Yeah, you're thinking like, what are you doing? Yeah, oh, yeah, nice shot, right? Nice shot. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that. Um, yeah. So from a from a talent standpoint, they're I think they're more versatile offensively than they were last year. And if you're telling me that they have more versatility offensively last year, I'm saying Jay Wright can make up the defense as he goes the rest of the way, and they can get he can get them better. That's kind of what with it, the way with the year goes on, and that defensive performance against Kansas. I know Kansas doesn't shoot it all that great, but they still locked up a pretty potent team. I think Kansas is a really good team, um, an elite team. You know, I know the metrics are a little out of whack right now in terms of like who you trust and who you don't, but I think Kansas is for real. Um, 
and they should have destroyed Villanova inside, and they didn't. So I think that was a big litmus test for me, and I think Villanova's sitting on top of the perch until someone knocks them off again because, like I said, I trust Jay Wright to get them to play the way they need to play defensively as the year goes on. I wasn't confident that he had enough skill offensively to play the way they normally play. That's but, what I think they, but I think they, think they, but do, I think they, they do. do. Okay, interesting. So that's um, why they're my number one. Why, yeah. is, why is Butler your number one? No, I told you this before the podcast started that I think Butler... Which is why I've been egging you on the whole podcast. You have been, podcast. but I've, I've been saying that like I, I think Butler is... Like, they're seventh in Ken Palm, and they don't feel like it's... The this, third in the net. Third in the net. Yeah, yeah. so the analytics like Butler. Yes. But I wondered if it was because there's just sort of a general... Um, I mean, like, college basketball this year, it feels like everything's kind of pushed down a little bit. Like, the top is pushed down toward the middle. Um, the, the, the elite teams just aren't haven't separated themselves if there are elite teams they haven't emerged yet and so i think butler is kind of benefiting from that like it doesn't feel like the seventh best team in the country or the third best team in the country based on the net rankings but with that said i still think it's the favorite to win the league because i think that what butler's done this year um to me they've been the most consistent team in Mm -hmm. the conference Mm -hmm. based on non-conference play alone from start to now absolutely most consistent team and so i'll bet on consistency what do you like about their ability to f- win the league? Then I guess since that's where you're putting them right now. Like, why? Why do you think that's going to be? Well, I like their. Why do you think? What do you think? Why? What do you see that you think wins out of their 18 games? I like. I mean, I thought you spelled it out pretty well. Kamar Baldwin's ability to t- to put the team on his shoulders and make big time plays. Uh, their identity defensively, like they are totally fine with grinding out games and winning on that end of the floor. I think they have enough like floor spacers. Um, to kind of have a counterpunch when teams load up and try to uh, swarm Baldwin and make him give it up, and uh, and and enough of like kind of like the inside outside dy- dynamic because of the uh, the emergence of of well I mean he's gra- what was he grad transfer or regular transfer I don't know if he was sitting out uh, who was it and Enzi was he um no I think he's a regular he was recruit was he I thought he was a redshirt. I, I think I thought Smith was the guy who. Oh, maybe you're right. Smith is definitely a grad transfer, yeah. but I thought that's who I thought the grad transfer was. He came from uh, like Milwaukee or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, his, oh, yeah, yeah. his 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 uh, his ability to score on the block. Um, like, look at you know what was what I was impressed by is when I looked at their numbers. Yeah, you're right. He's from Milwaukee, so he's a junior transfer, not a grad transfer. Yeah. Even though they are a grinded out defensive oriented team, like their efficiency offensively has been pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because Baldwin's been super, like he's been as good as he's ever been in his career. Yeah, that, like that falling off turned them into like a and having bit. just an automatic knockdown dude in, in Sean McDermott has helped too. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> I don't know. I, I I'm just betting on consistency. Like <coughs> what they've done to this point. That wins out of rate too. because that this this league is going to be such a grind that like you can't be hot and cold because if you're cold you're you got a three game losing streak suddenly and then you're out of the contention for the league race mm-hmm. you have to be steady like Butler is and be able to withstand a bad night and still find a way to win or um, deal be able to deal with you know losing a close one and then just getting back on track and not losing your footing yeah so 
I will take one point of contention. I don't think a three-game losing streak is going to eliminate the title <laughs> this year. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, will, I will say that. Yeah, but I, but for, overall, I do Especially agree. if we're talking about teams being like 11-7 and seven or 12-6 exactly. and six exactly. as the winner. Yeah. I, I think two will eliminate you. One will not. Um, but I had overall good points about Butler. And uh, that is our 10-1 through one in the Big East. Um, so now we'll just uh, wrap this up with some what to look for um, in the days leading up to... Uh, how many? How many, how many? How many NCAA tournament teams oh, are eventually? What's realistic? Because, like, as we say right now, there's there's uh, realistic is six. Like, there's nine teams there's in, nine the teams in the top fifty-two, 52. of the net yes. coming into pro- play today. Yeah, and I've already seen a few brackets where all nine are in the tournament. Yeah, like not even bubbles, like no play-ins. So. The metrics like this league so far. It doesn't seem possible. And I feel like if you've that got, doesn't seem possible. I know. My because thing. My thing is, if you've got a bunch of teams that are jumping into league play at that, aren't you only going to start beating each other up and not really move much at that point? Like, right. Like you'll move around in that top fifty range, but won't you just stay in that fifty to fifth sixty range? So I don't know how much damage is going to be done to each other. Like I think it's. I think it'd be worse if you had four fifties in like three 200s and some 150s that's because yeah. that can lead to some wide uh, raises and drops but I don't know if I just feel like the league's going to beat itself up it's going to be really tightly contested and there's going to be a bunch of bubble teams left at the end of the day so I think six if, you're, if you if you ask for a realistic number six out of ten is realistic but you know if you want me to pick what how many time, how many teams I think right now in NCAA tournament teams I'm going to say eight yeah. I think Xavier and Providence are the only two that aren't right now. Yeah. Okay. Eight, eight for you? How many do I think are going to make yeah, that's it? Right. I, yeah. I, think, I actually, you know what? If you would ask me this a month ago, I would have said like five. I would I would have too. But yeah, totally agree. The I Big East had a hell of a December. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy when you look at the league. It's just like, look at the winning streaks in the league. Yeah. Like Georgetown's won seven or eight in a row. Creighton's won seven in a row. Um, Nova's won four or five in a row. Uh, Butler's won, I don't know, five in a row or something like uh, Marquette's won five in a row or something. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It, it, it is. It, nobody, nobody's coming off a loss going to the league play. Because nope. even beat Providence Texas. beat Texas like, beat yeah. Texas like a drum. So, the yeah. Providence isn't on a winning streak, but I think everyone else is on a winning streak, technically. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. They had, the league had a great December. Mm-hmm. And I mean, DePaul and Butler were picked at the bottom of the league, and they're both one-loss teams going into league play. Right. That's crazy. Um... So I would I would guess I would guess seven. Okay, seven NCAA tournament teams. Yep, sounds right. Um, anything else you want to do? Who's your player of the year? Um, where did my standing shake out? So Villanova's one. Yeah, yeah Nova one. Butler two. Who was my third? Georgetown. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Mac McClung. Mac McClung player of the year. Yeah, I think if Georgetown's three. I think Mac McClung is the player of the year. Well, I got Marquette three. So if Marquette's three, Marcus Howard's going to win it. Okay. Well, that's a pretty safe answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, going to have to average like 28 a game. Yeah. Um, I actually think he I think he needs to average around 19 to be the all-time leader in Big East, Big East history. Games. Big East games only or whatever. Oh, yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Not like I don't know about Big East history. I'm not sure. Well, that it becomes a question of like do you, total points, right? Do you include Doug McDermott in that? Like, oh, is he yeah. a Big East player? True. Then, yeah. yeah, so that's wishy-washy then. Yeah, I but yeah, he's, I think he averages like 18 points something 
like close to 19. He's going to be the all-time leader yeah. in Big East games only, which is pretty cool. Actually, fill out the rest of your Big East, all Big East team. Like who you got? Oh, okay. Like, Who's to my... this point, or maybe 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 it's maybe it's not to this point. Project it out. God, I said Mac McClung's the player of the freaking year. That's out loud. Can't take that one back. Um. So if McClung's player of the year, then it's five guys after that, right? Is that how don't do it? it. Don't do it. Don't the do way that way. <laughs> Matt, don't do that. Don't succumb to their nonsense. I, I just, There's five players in an all-league all right, Five team. players total, and then I'm yeah, okay. and not not the. Um, I'll go Zagorowski, McClung. Um, Marcus Howard. I'm trying to think. No, because I don't know Baldwin. if I want to go super guard heavy or not. Honestly, yeah. I mean, there's gonna be. There's gonna yeah, it's gonna, I'm gonna go with all guards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just be. I'm gonna. I'm realistic gonna, about it. Yeah, I'm going. And this is a guards league. I'm going. My first team is Gillespie, Howard, Powell, McClellan, Zagorowski. Is that five? You said. Did I, did I name five? You said Gillespie, Howard, Powell, Powell. Zagorowski, yeah. McClellan. Is that yeah. five? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going five guards. I would take McClung off and add your seven. Oh, so if he to, keeps playing at, okay. the, at this level, I think he'll be the best big man in the league. And okay. Then, Maybe it's not fair that he goes just by default and jumps somebody, but I think he's going to be a first off Big yeah. East first teamer. Yeah, so if if you were going to give me the Big East method, I was going to put you were going to put Robinson Earl just ahead of your seven. Oh, okay. But those are going to be my top seven. Though. Um, but I think you got you didn't say Baldwin though. Like I think he's going to be yeah. All no, Big I didn't. First I, well, I know. First teamer. I like I like Marcus Zagorowski as a All Big East first teamer. As well. Okay, it's always done. So who's your who's your five? Uh, you were at seven. Zagorowski, Baldwin, Howard. Oh man, somebody off Villanova. I know, because they're your they're your two, right? Yeah, it's a Gillespie. I don't know. You just got done trashing the man. I didn't trash him. Called him subtle. That's not an all all leaguer. Subtle is not first team all league. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're gonna call him a subtle impact guy, he's not first team all league for you. But I do. I I find value in that. I oh I agree. I don't. I didn't say you were knocking him. I'm just saying like if you're calling him a subtle impact guy. I don't think that's first team all big East. Because I think impact is first team all big East. It's a series of subtle impacts. It's not just like <laughs> it's multiple subtle impacts. It's little play after little play after little play that results in first team. Death all by big paper East. cuts. Death by paper cuts. Okay. I like the way you say that. Um, you haven't named Miles Powell yet, and I'm really wondering. I if know, you're I gonna, think I, well I was gonna say I think because that's the that's, assuming he's what back. a wild two months we've had if you've gone from preseason player of the year to off Johnny Atala's all Big East team. <laughs> I think I think I gotta keep him there. Okay. So what do you got? Powell. Yard seven. Yard seven. Zagorowski, Baldwin, Howard. Okay. Anything else? Coach of the year. Laval Jordan. Right? I think he's Laval got Jordan. it. Wow. Unless. Yeah. Wow. I never thought I would say that out loud, or even internally. I was really down on him. Yeah. Honestly. I think no joke, but if Creighton finishes where I think they're going to finish, I think Max got a shot at it too. I think anyone who's in the top five yeah, of the league sure. has oh, sure. a legit argument. I mean, Patrick Ewing with his defections yes. has a shot at it if they finish where where we've progressed. Same with finish. Marquette with uh, uh, no, not as much. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Like self, 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 infl- Howard, self, self-inflicted yeah, infections. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But I think you. I think because of the way. I mean, I'm just I'm so interested in how coaches are going to navigate this, you know, night after night after night challenge, and mm-hmm. it kind of does feel like 
decisions that are made. Like coaching will be a big reason who why who yeah. it shakes out the way it shakes yeah. out. Yeah, totally. Agree. Decisions that are made like game plans, game plans, and, and reactions, substitution patterns, adjustments. Yep. Yeah. Like it's one of the reasons why I can't take Villanova outside of the top two because yeah. Jay Wright is. I, I, I flat out said yeah, that, was, that was the reason. Everyone, so yeah, everyone. I'm not disagreeing at all. Right. Um, is that it? I think so. We've gone way over the 45 that we were shooting for, FYI. That's fine. Okay. Um, Let's uh, just hit up on some of our stuff we've got going. So, obviously, with the big news about Davion, um, that white and blue review, we'll be writing about him. I was going to write about Tyshawn Alexander's defense a little bit because his uh, performance has been really good so far this year. So, I'm going to set him up as some kind of, like, stopper before Marcus Howard comes in and drops 50 again. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I'm just gonna. I think uh, I'm just gonna highlight his his defense performance so far and kind of the improvements he made. And honestly, I'm, I'm kind of curious to dive in to see how much of it has to do with the changes he's made to his body because I think physically he's a lot, you know, in a lot better shape and a lot stronger than he was last year. So I'm curious to see how much of that has has been a, a reason for it. Um, this podcast will be there and uh, the women play Georgetown tomorrow and Villanova, so look for coverage on that from post game. Um, Mr. Niatawa, what we got going on Omaha.com? What you got for us? It's a good question. Oh shit, we're not ready? I have no idea That's what That's why I'm I started first, so I was like, I know, I okay. appreciate that, but Give I have you no chance idea to prioritize. Starting next week. I messed up because we both wrote about Denzel and I didn't know you were doing that, so that's my bad. I've, I hate when I do that. I don't think that that. I think Denzel's a type of player that a lot of people want to know about. They were two different stories. I'll give you. I, I agree with that. Yeah. Like, so, but yours is really good. I feel like mine. You was, should check out John's story. I feel on like Denzel. mine was looking back and yours was looking ahead. It definitely was. Yeah. yeah. But you talked to Denzel's brother and it was really insightful stuff. I think it's really. Uh, it was a neat look at kind of how Denzel kept his himself like ready physically for when he got back to um, the team and back into practice he was ready to go so you need to check that out on omaha.com if you haven't already um because it's really good stuff yeah what else you got yeah i, I don't know i don't I'm i further to, delayed i know for but you, i'm trying but to think like i stalled even further i don't i think tomorrow i'll probably reset a little bit and sort of map out what i plan to are you gonna watch on. midland again no i'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna no. break this down one more time um we'll not watch that one again but uh I don't know. Be on the lookout. That'll be good yeah, stuff. Yeah, just that'll be good stuff. You know you're getting good stuff from John, so be ready for it. It'll be a surprise. He just said he'll be a surprise for you. So uh, uh, subscriptions are still ninety nine cents for the first month. Ninety nine cents for the first month. Yeah. What is it after that? Six ninety nine, right? Yeah, I think so. Wait, no, no. I, Mine's nine seventy five. I think is what it is. I, I could be wrong on that yeah. too. Depends on what you what subscription level you get. I don't know. It was like three years ago or some shit. Whatever it was then. Okay. It's still what I'm paying now. It doesn't it hasn't changed. I appreciate that. I appreciate you not increasing my subscription fees okay. over the years. It stayed the same flat rate the whole time. It's very good for a guy on a budget. because um, I just know what's coming out every month. It's very consistent. I'm like nine seventy five, thanks World Herald. Appreciate it. So yeah. Um ten bucks a month for uh everything. Um, you want to read on the Jays with Omaha.com. Um, you know where to go to White and Blue Review. I actually think I don't want to put them on blast here, but we were talking about <clears throat> um, kind of like a top plays of the decade from Creighton basketball that I think Tom Nemes is going to put together a highlight reel because we were shooting some ideas together. So I don't know if he's 
still working on that or not if he was serious but we did throw together a lot of like this has to be in it in our in our chat so look for that and if it's not there tom i apologize for putting you Ooh. putting that on you i think i might have com- given up on that so. i think i might compile an all-decade team for creighton okay that's a popular it's with the calendar you're in everyone's everyone's, everyone's doing, doing it yep so i might join jump into that trend do you have a uh do you have a top play of the decade nominee Top, top play. Let's let's go play or moment for uh, Creighton basketball. Doug, time? Doug McDermott's forty fifth point. Is that right? Forty fifth to go. So the, the career high one. Yeah. Or the three thousandth one. Oh, so they're different. They're different. Okay. Forty fifth was a Dakota play just to get him the career high. Yeah. Three thousand was just like a size. The, you it was a size you up three. three. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So the three thousandth point is your yeah. moment of the decade. I said that. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty 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 good one. I think to be different. Hmm. I think to be different, I'll give my boy Jahan's Maniga some love. His uh, late layup in the final seconds uh, to beat Wichita State in the final Arch Madness game for Creighton to win the MVC tournament. I'm going to give that my mm. my play of the decade for Creighton basketball because a it beat Wichita, b it was like the goodbye St. Louis moment that I feel like all Creighton fans will remember fondly um, and ushered in an era that I don't feel like anybody has had regrets about so far, considering all that they've had to experience. Am I going too far with that one? Did I go too far? I, I don't, you look at me like I went too far. Well, I don't Why know. are you going to stop with them? Um, yeah, I'm going with John Hens' layup against Wichita to beat them late, or to extend the lead to three, I think is what it did. But yeah, it, was a, it was a big play. Game sealer. Um, so that's my moment. Could, I mean, and I was just doing that to be different because I honestly, the, the, I was the, three, gonna, the, the what happened at the three thousandth point was special. I was like, just going to bring up. A, I was going to bring up another moment that hurts, but I think it's a key moment was Mo Watson going down Why with the injury. Oh damn, that's. Uh, it, but it's if you're just talking about moments, that just was like oh yeah, that was definitely a moment. Yeah, I, that's a it's top five for sure in this decade. And now everyone's gone to the. Covered for the strongest booze they could find. Man. I'm sorry Dang. to bring it up, but if you're going to talk about moments, you have you can't just talk well, about the I good mean, stuff. Like maybe, it's not well, all good. Creighton didn't win national championships. I, if I said every like, year. what's the biggest what if? Maybe then bust that out. Dude, towards ACL, and you're like, that's the best moment of the decade. I the didn't say moment, best. I biggest said biggest moment. Yeah, of the de- like right. most memorable, most impactful. Just to end the podcast on that note. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate the feedback and uh, take the good send your the hate mail to John now because he just reminded you of all the good things you hate in life. Um, Happy New Year, everybody! Thanks for listening. See you. We'll talk to you after Marquette.